0: This is it. Okay, it says it's life, so we're just gonna says, go with okay. it. Okay. Sin and shin, which uh, and it came on. Doctor Spock and his yes, fancy thing there. Which uh, two front teeth? Sharp, press, eat two. Rulers persecute me without cause, but my heart trembles at your word. I rejoice in your promise like one who finds great spoil. I hate and abhor falsehood but I love your law. Seven times a day I praise you for your righteous laws. Great peace have they who love your law. Nothing can make them stumble. Wait for your salvation, O Lord. I follow your commands. I obey your statutes, for I love them great. I obey your precepts and your statutes, for all my ways are known to you.
1: All right, good stuff. Let's see here. Um, oh. oh. I... Jim says that uh, Jay talked to the doctor and so Dr. Bridges is okay and he's up and about, but if you uh, uh, are going to have Thai food, make sure that you don't have your head hit concrete. Okay, that's an important thing to remember. He taught us a lesson with that. Um, Let's see here. I got a letter from Becky in Colorado and obviously that would be like five days ago, but they weren't feeling well. They've been struggling for a year now and uh, so I hadn't heard from her today, but we'll add her into prayer. And then I got Scott Voltz in Colorado, uh, has COVID still, and, uh, he's suffering from nerve pain because of it. And so we want to keep him in prayer. And let's see here. Um, I guess that's all of the, uh, um, Mike and Debbie are doing better. They they sent a message this morning and said they're on the upswing on that. And so they're, they're hopefully in good shape. And be then, uh, they what? Oh, I'll absolutely. Praise for that. And then uh, we had um, Jim and Egan come in from Manassas, Virginia today. They just walked in and completely blew me away. So I'm I'm, I'm completely off kilter because of it. But yes.
2: Ed for a friend of mine, has esophageal cancer. I, that's
1: right. Esophageal cancer. And, you know, I didn't write that down. Thank yeah. you. He's got esophageal cancer. And uh,
2: before it goes into the stomach, the esophagus. So they're going yep. to have part.
1: And that, when is that going to be?
2: as soon as they get out done with the chemo radiation, okay. which are doing
1: both right now. Yeah. Okay, good. Alright, so we'll add it, add okay. into the prayers as well. Heavenly Father, we certainly thank you for the chance to pray for these people and to thank you for safe travel for our friends. And Lord, we uh, uh, ask that you would uh, just bless this class and keep us from any uh, trials or troubles And um, uh, during this class that uh, things would be handled properly and that the word would be handled without any uh, incident or anything that is incorrect. And Lord, please help us to uh, uh, remember those that are sick and that are having difficulties with health and with finances and with all kinds of other things. And we just thank you for the chance to uh, ask these things. We pray for these people. And anybody else that we've forgotten to mention, Lord, we lift them up to you as well. And Lord, we just we thank you for every good blessing that you've given us. We thank you, we praise you, and we exalt you, and we do so in Jesus' name, Amen. Amen. Oh, completely blank head right now. Um, let's see here. We have Bob, this day in Christian history. Can I give you
2: something that I know to start with? Yes. Okay. Remember this now: N O M O R O B O. Okay. The Type that into your email and it'll come up and it's supposedly stopped robocalls.
1: I've never heard of that. We'll say that again. M O
2: M O R O B O.
1: M-O-R-O-B-O. No more, O-B-O. O-B-O. Okay. Oh, M-O. no more robo. No, no more
2: robo. Okay. And it seems to be working. Mine didn't ring today at all. <laughs> Is that right? On
1: your phone? Yeah. Oh, well, I don't have one of those phones, so it won't oh, help you me have at all. One
2: at the house. Oh, you mean
0: a regular phone, too? Yeah. yeah. Okay. So you, you log into that, and then it takes your number. and.
2: Yeah, and it costs ninety nine if you got a cell
0: phone. Huh. It's
2: better.
1: I not yes, it's Veterans Day. It's I got it on December 11th. That is not going to work. November 11th, okay. And let's see here. November 11th, for the first time in recorded history, free men covenanted together to form a civil government with the authority to enact laws that the people promised to obey. The date was November 11th, 1620, and the place was the Mayflower, anchored off the coast of Cape Cod. 102 passengers, including 34 children, had spent seven weeks crossing the ocean from England. Of the passengers, 16 men, 11 women, and 14 children were pilgrims, having been associated with the Separatist Church in Scrooby, England. Refusing to conform to the Church of England, they had first sought religious asylum in Leiden, Holland. After 12 years there, they became concerned that their children would no longer identify themselves as English. Learning of the possibility of settling in America, they made arrangements with the Virginia Company to settle just south of the Hudson River within the northernmost boundary of the Virginia Charter. However, fierce winds blew them off course to the north, to the shores of Cape Cod. They decided to settle on Cape Cod, but then realized that since they would not be under the jurisdiction of the Virginia Company, They would be on their own because they had no agreement with the New England Company. On board the ship, some of the pilgrim, non-pilgrim bonded servants and those who hired by contract greeted this newly revised plan as an opportunity for rebellion. The pilgrim leadership saw that they must act quickly to prevent a mutiny. The pilgrim men then wrote up a compact, now known as the Mayflower Compact, and presented it to those on board. I wish people would not call me like that, but okay. Uh, Sorry about that. The Pilgrim Men uh, wrote up a compact, now known as the Mayflower Compact, and presented it to those on board. 41 of the 65 men signed it. 13 of those who didn't sign were sons of signers, covered by their father's commitments. The remaining men, nine servants and two hired (laughs) sailors, were probably too sick to sign. The compact read, In the name of God, Amen. We whose names are underwritten, the loyal subjects of our dread sovereign, Lord King James, by the grace of God, of Great Britain, France, Ireland, King, Defender of the Faith, and so on, having undertaken for the glory of God and the advancement of the Christian faith, and honor of our King and country, a voyage to plant the first colony in the northern parts of Virginia, do by these presents, solemnly and mutually, In the presence of God and one another, covenant and combine ourselves together into a civil body politic for our better ordering and preservation and furtherance of the ends aforesaid, and by virtue hereof to enact, constitute, and frame such just and equal laws, ordinances, acts, constitutions, and offices from time to time, as shall be thought most meet and convenient, for the general good of the colony unto which we promise all due submission and obedience in witness whereof we have hereunder subscribed our names at cape cod the 11th of november in the year of the reign of our sovereign king of england king james of england anno domini 1620 before leaving the netherlands the pilgrims had knelt on the dock to ask god's blessing on their voyage and now william bradford recorded being thus arrived in a good harbor and brought safe to land, they fell upon their knees and blessed the God of heaven. During their first winter, 47 people died, including 13 of the 18 women. Only three families were left intact. These humble Christian men and women were to be the seeds of what would become the United States of America. In spite of all the hardships, the Pelt. Po- The pilgrims experienced their little government lasted and became a model for the entire nation, acknowledging that their purpose was to glorify God. They covenanted together to enact laws for the general good of the colony and promised to abide by them. The pilgrims had a clear vision and staked their very lives on following it. It is equally important for us to have a clear vision of God's purposes for ourselves and our families. What is your vision? Joshua twenty four fifteen says, As for me and my family, we will serve the Lord. What year was that? They have
2: the king, James, did they bring it over with? Them?
1: I do not know that. <laughs> I do not know that. I can tell you, though, that uh, this nation is not the nation that they had originally planted. That's for sure. The way things are going right now, it's almost criminal to uh, consider. It is criminal. Absolutely criminal to consider what he's doing. Supposed leader of this nation, what he's doing right now. It's the kind of thing that uh, if it was anybody else, they would have been impeached. They would have been convicted by the Senate. They would have been imprisoned at this point. So we'll just hope that that will happen in the next two years after the election. Okay, we're in uh, Ephesians 6, verse 6, and it says there, I'm going to start with verse 5, Bond servants. Be obedient to those who are your masters according to the flesh, with fear and trembling, in sincerity of heart as to Christ, not with eye service as men-pleasers, but as bondservants of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart. Okay, that's verse 6. And uh, let's see here. This verse continues to explain what was introduced in verse 5. Taken together, they read, Bondservants, be obedient to those who are your masters According to the flesh. Oh, I just read that. Okay, verse 5 and 6. Okay, Paul is asking that bondservants be obedient. Not with eye service. It is a word used only here and in Colossians 3, verse 22. And it appears to be a word invented by him. The use of it is to indicate someone who serves only when the eye of his master is present. They usually know this if a word is invented by Paul or someone else in the New Testament because there's nothing else in ancient Greek literature that will indicate that that was ever used. And we do the same thing in English all the time. We take two words and we throw them together and we make something up. And when we do, we say, well, to coin a new phrase or to coin a new word. And that happens quite often in the Bible. This is probably one of those words, Paul. I'll read it again. The use of it is to indicate someone who serves only when the eye of his master is present. So when the master is out, he refuses to conduct his duties as he should Paul says that it this is inappropriate rather a servant is to serve his master in the same manner as he would for the Lord which means at all times i remember that very well when i was in the workforce and we would have people that loved to impress their bosses when their bosses were around and as soon as the boss left everything changed and i i remember that as clear as crystal and uh, i remember it with almost uh Every shift that I worked on, when I worked with more than a couple of people, there was always somebody that was like that. He would uh, just find every reason in the world to not do his job when the boss wasn't around. And, uh, but because he was a eye-pleaser to the boss, the boss thought he was a great person. And I'm, I mean just anybody. I just, like I say, it's not, I'm not talking about anybody in specific. Just I saw it again and again and again.
0: There's the saying for that. What's that? When the cat's away. Yeah,
1: when the cat's away. That's right. Okay. The mice will play. So there you go. And that's exactly what happened. And it's a shame. It's normally people that do not know the Lord. They uh, are unwilling to put forth their best for the person that's employed them. And, you know, I was thinking just, uh, uh, I have three part-time jobs and they're all co-located. Okay, one is a separate uh, building entirely. One of them is an entire mall and it's owned on two ends by two different entities. And the pay difference between one end and the other end is very large. And I'm not saying I make a lot of money. That's not what I'm saying. I'm saying that if I get $10 from these people, I get $2 from this person, and it's the same amount of work. Okay, and I was thinking of this just Wednesday because I'm getting old, and it's very hard to do this job now. I'm just to the point where I just, I slave through it sometimes. I'm just burdened with the the uh, weight of the leaf blower that I'm carrying for a couple hours, and it's vibrating, and it's loud, and I've got all these other jobs I have to do. And I was thinking uh, that I think a lot of people would say to the boss on this end that pays the $2 instead of the $10, you know, if you don't pay more, I'm not going to do this end anymore. And I just don't feel that way. I feel that they're paying me what they are paying me. The one end pays me based on a salary. They say, this is how much you make, regardless of how much you do. The other end pays me by the hour. And by the hour, it's not bad pay. It never has been. So why would I complain about it? Just because I make more here and I don't make more here is irrelevant. These people want to be gracious with the salary, and these people pay a good hourly wage. And whatever I book, that's what they pay me based on that hour. And so I, I have no problem with it. But I know that there are people out there that would simply take the point that I'm getting paid so much here, And I'm not getting paid so much here. And I'm going to throw it on these people and make them pay me more. I don't feel that way. So uh, that's just how I operate. I don't feel the need to, uh, because they have their own business model. They have their own, you know, employees. They have their own way of doing things. Yeah, everything. And so, I, I mean, I don't know their situation. And if they're making millions of dollars and they pay a low wage, that's their prerogative. And if they make a little bit of money and they pay a good wage, that's their prerogative. And so, to me, it's irrelevant. I'm doing one half of this particular mall, and there's no point, which for years I did. I would take care of that one half of the mall, and I'd stop right in the middle of it, and I'd stop mowing because that wasn't my end. And I wouldn't cut their trees, and I wouldn't take out their garbage, and I wouldn't clean their toilets or anything. And after a few years, because I've been doing this now, what, 30 years, 25 years? um, After a few years, they said, your end always looks so good. Why don't you just take care of our end too? And so I replaced their lawn guy. I replaced their tree guy. I replaced their garbage guy. I replaced their. Uh, they had a fourth guy. What did he do? Anyway, I replaced all four of them, and I do it all every morning. Okay. So you should, have,
0: so, you should have come at them with a the price. I know. I'm
1: not going to do that. They offered. They offered, and I said, "Okay, that seems fair to me." It's just how I work, you know. And so I'm not the one that's going to complain about those type of things. And the. People that are getting a good pay and they're being hired by their boss, if they're not willing to be diligent when the boss is gone, as far as I'm concerned, they ought to just be let go. You know, people have a responsibility to say, I'm being rewarded for the fact that I'm here working for these people. Uh, They're under no obligation to hire me and to give me my pay. Okay, they can hire somebody else. And so people should do their very best all the time regardless of their situation. If they don't like their situation, then they should move or they should get up earlier and get another job where they're more industrious or whatever. I mean, there's, there's in Florida, I'm not talking about everywhere, but in Florida, there is plenty of work to be done. There's always work to be done. And if you don't like what you're doing and you're unhappy with your pay, that's your problem. Okay, that's Florida. I'm not talking about everybody, but I know here in Florida that there is a lot going on. And uh, it's usually been that way, especially in Sarasota, because we're almost recession proof. I mean, the rest of the country has gone through big recessions in my life, and we've always had things open. Very rarely do you see things in Sarasota close because, you know, going out of business because of a recession, whereas you hear about some town in Ohio where the entire town just closes and everybody moves. Okay. Anyway. I don't know what got me onto that, but don't be a men-pleaser. Don't be an eye-pleaser. Do your job to the best of your ability because you are not serving just the boss. You are serving the Lord. Uh, He next says that they are not to be men-pleasers. This word is also found only here and in Colossians 3.22. It indicates someone who is willing to please man rather than God. The idea of both of these words is that a bond-servant, which we all are if we are uh, believers in the Lord, we're all a slave to somebody, okay? That was uh, Dr. I mean, uh, Dwayne Magnuson used to say it. Mm-hmm. Your only choice is who are you going to be a slave to? Jesus said, "You're uh, if you're not in me, you're a slave to sin, okay? Anybody who sins is a slave to sin. Christ <laughs> frees you from the bondage of sin, and therefore you are a bondservant or a slave, a doulos to the Lord. We're all slaves to somebody, and we have to decide in Christ who we are going to be a slave to, The idea of both of these words is that a bondservant is to look to his duties, to his master, whether he is a good master or a crummy one, a good boss or a bad one, as if he was actually serving the Lord. In doing so, he would be a responsible representative of the Lord in the presence of his master. Okay, I can see this coming. It's in my mind now that he's rebuked me and my mom shook her head over it. Listen, it's my choice. Okay. Well, don't don't... send, no, I'm just saying, don't send me an email and say, Charlie, you should uh, go down and talk to those people for higher pay. I don't want to hear it from anybody. This is no. my choice. Okay. So please don't, don't send me any. I am an
0: e- not your negotiator. Listen, I, just, I don't want a negotiator. A I'm
1: very it. happy with the job that I have and the people that employ me. Okay. So okay. please don't send me an email and nope. try to counsel me on that. Uh-uh. Okay. No way. All right. In doing so, he would be a risk. Re- I'm going to read that again because The idea of both of these words is that a bondservant is to look to his duties to his master, whether he is a good master or a crummy one, as if he was actually serving the Lord. In doing so, he would be a responsible representative of the Lord in the presence of his master. This is explained in the next words, but as bondservants of Christ. By acting as a bondservant of Christ, even for his earthly master, he will then be doing the will of God from the heart. Paul connects the two duties to show the importance of right and proper conduct at all times. As we have a different system of employment in the world today, and we talked about this last week, mentioning it again in this verse, we need to adapt that system to Paul's words. We do not have slaves and masters for the most part in the world today. There are some places that still do that, and we, as we saw on Sunday, there are people that are actually enslaved in Oregon right now. And the government is doing nothing about it, okay? But that's not a part of our system. It's an aberration that our government is unwilling to handle. But having said that, there are places in the world where this type of stuff continues. But for the most part, we need to adapt our thinking of what Paul is saying to our lives and our circumstances, which is a boss who employs a person that willingly goes to that Employment and says I will work for this set wage, whatever it is. And Jesus gave the example of the person that uh, uh, had was out hiring people for a denarius, which in the Bible at that time was the pay for a day's wage. And he went out at nine o'clock in the morning. And I don't remember the times. I'm just paraphrasing here. He went out at nine o'clock in the morning, and he said, "I'll give you a denarius if you go out and you'll work in my fields." And so they go out and they work. And then the next ones come at. eleven o'clock and he says, Well, why aren't you working? Well nobody hired us. Well then go out and work for a denarius and or yeah, go out and work for a denarius in the fields and we'll pay you at the end of the day. And he gets to twelve o'clock and three o'clock and five o'clock and he says to each one of them, go out and I'll pay you what's right. Okay. And then we'll say at six o'clock in the evening and these people line up and he says, okay, have the people that started last come and get their pay and he gives them a denarius. They only did an hour of work. And then he gets to the people at the very beginning of the day, and he gives them a denarius, and they get upset, and they say, what are you doing? And he said, I agreed to pay you this much. This is what you agreed to do. Can I do what I want with my own money? Okay, and the people had nothing that they could say against that. They had agreed to that wage. They grumbled about it, but they should not have, and that's the way it is with us in our employment. If we are given employment, we need to be responsible to the person who employed us, or we need to just remove ourselves from that job. That's, I I find no other thing in my thinking other than that. I don't agree with the premise of people holding their jobs ransom for uh, higher pay. In other words, all of these union things that they do in the world, the unions help build America and they have destroyed America because these people agreed to go in and work. If they don't like it, then just go work somewhere else. And then you, people say, well, I need to start paying more. I'm just not one to go against the trend of a person that voluntarily does something that then later changes his mind. You can ask, and if they say no, then you can move on or accept what you're being paid. Yes. Yeah, I think that's my favorite parable because I'm not thinking in terms of economic reward. Right. I am thinking. And of what is your responsibility before the person who has hired you. And that follows through with your responsibility to the Lord. Absolutely right. Until our last breath, he gives the same wage to you who have had a very bad life to the person that was born into a Christian family and always lived a normal life. And he is going to reward them exactly the same as far as salvation. Not rewards and losses, but as far as salvation, they will all receive the same wage. Jesus is a completely wonderful God. He is a completely wonderful Savior because he looks at the world completely different than we do. We think we're owed something, and we're not. We're not owed anything at all, and yet he graciously gives us so much. You're right about that. You were
0: hypothetically
1: saying that. Yeah, hypothetically. I, whatever, whatever I said, yes. It was all hypothetical, and that was all paraphrase off that. I wasn't quoting the parable. I was just paraphrasing what Jesus said. So there you go. But uh, as we have a dis- I read that there. Okay, uh, rather than masters, we have bosses. However, we are to treat our bosses with the same respect that the bondservant is called to for his master. We are not to be employees who perform with mere eye service, nor are we to simply be men-pleasers. We are to act as if we are reporting to Christ, making the most efficient use of our time under the employ of our employers. And I know that there are people out there that have really bad bosses. I understand that. I've had some really terrible bosses, but I always had to remind myself, I volunteered for this job, and nothing is making me stay here. It's not like I'm stuck in a job where I can't get away from it. You can get away from anything in this particular environment that we live in. That may not be the case with everybody, but here in America, you can say, I'm out of here, and you can move to another state. You can, you know, go across the road, and if there's work, you can go there. We have options, and we need to be willing to exercise our options if we're not happy, but not to uh, violate the covenant that we made when we agreed for a certain pay. Okay, I'm just firm on that. I I don't think anybody's going to change my mind on that particular precept. You volunteered to work for some—it's the same thing with the military, and I hate what's happening to the folks in the military right now. We are betraying the best of this nation by doing what we're doing. But I will say that when I joined the U.S. military— I joined the U.S. military. I agreed when I raised my hand to do the things that I was told to do. And there were a lot of things that I really didn't like doing. And yet I agreed that I would do them. And so I did those things and nothing illegal. You know what I'm saying? It was just that they have a completely different way of having people work in an environment. And you have much less choice about what you are doing. And, you know... Now, here's a good example of what happened in the military with me. I went in uh, to the military with a guaranteed job, okay? And it was supposed to be a Vietnamese linguist. I was all excited about that, you know? And I uh, something happened during the uh, basic training that that did not work out. I w- couldn't get that job, and they violated the contract. And so they gave me two options. You can get another job or we will release you from the military. They gave me the option. And because that's what I was guaranteed. I came in guaranteed with this particular job. And they, when you go, at least it used to be when you went into the Air Force, they had four categories. They had general, they had mechanical, um, they had electric, and they had administrative. And I thought I'll go into any one of them, but I will not go into administrative. I never want to be a paper pusher. And so what happened, I went into the general uh, Vietnamese linguist, and that didn't work out. And I'm thinking, well, there's lots of jobs out there. They're going to offer me something. I said, what do you have? And they said, you can either be a pharmacist or you can be an admin, a paper pusher. (laughs) And I said, I'm not wearing those whites. These guys have to wear whites all the time. And I really had to think, do I want to stay in the military or do I want to do the one thing that I did not want to do? And I said, okay, I'm going to take the admin job. And I did. And it turned out to be a great, great thing, okay? Hedico and I, we had a good time. We went to nice places, and uh, it was was a great job. But it was my choice, and if I didn't like it for those four years, it was totally my fault because I volunteered to stay, and so I did my very best in a field that I was not happy in, and uh, I tried to be the best employee I could or service person I could during that time, and it worked out that... uh, uh, we got to go to the one country that I wanted to go to was Japan. That's the only thing that I wanted to do. Is That's why I joined the service, because I wanted to go to Japan. And I knew that they had Vietnamese linguists in Asia, and you could get an assignment in Japan. And so it worked out even with admin. And then after that, I got a three-year, the best assignment in the U.S. Air Force. I went to Malaysia, and I worked at the embassy in Malaysia. And I think, what an opportunity that was. You know, but things work out. The the Lord fits things together. Oh, and here's why I stayed. People always ask me, why did you stay nine years? Okay, because in the military, you do four years, and then you say, I'm getting out. And that was always my intention. And what happened at the four-year point, We We got our child. We got a child to adopt, Little Tangerine, and we had no choice but to extend. That means you can extend, and I extended the 12 months it was necessary so that we would have the retainability so we could bring her back to the U.S. And right at the 11-month point, one month before I was supposed to get out again, our boy came along. And so we decided we have to re-enlist or we can't adopt this child. And so we re-enlisted, and I ended up staying in for nine years, four months, and 15 days. And it was because we have the two best children in the whole world. We were able to do adopt them. But uh, the whole point I'm making is, I'm rambling here, and I'm sorry about that, but the whole point is that I was obligated to do my job, and I never said, I didn't get the job I wanted, and therefore I'm just going to be a slacker during these four years, and I'm going to milk off the government. It was my responsibility to either accept the job and do my best, or move on. So, life application. In the world, it is so easy to fall in with the labor union mentality. The liberal attitude, both in government and in private industry, says that it is okay to not work to the highest standard of integrity and diligence. But the Bible tells us otherwise. If you act like, yes, I typed this years ago, if you act like a Democrat in your work environment by failing to give your all to your boss, you are not acting as the Lord would have you to work. It is time to mature out of your self-centered work attitude and to become a devoted, dedicated employee. And this is regardless of the attitude of your employer. If you can't deal with him, then it is you who needs to find another job. Think clearly. Apply the Bible and its precepts to your life. Be honoring of the Lord through your employment. This is what I would ask you to do, is do everything to the glory of God, even when it hurts, even when it's difficult. Okay, this is what we're to do. Um, Verse 6-7. Welcome to you. It's good to have you here. Six, seven.
0: Serve wholeheartedly as if you were serving the Lord, not men.
1: Okay, this one says, with good will, doing service as to the Lord and not to men. So same thought, different words. Okay, again, the context needs to be maintained in order to see the progression of thought. So what we're going to do is we're going to start again with verse five and just read it. Bondservants, be obedient to those who are your masters according to the flesh with fear and trembling, in sincerity of heart, as to Christ. Not with eye service as men-pleasers, but as bondservants of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart. With good will, doing service as to the Lord, and not to men. He last stated that the duties of the bondservant are to be carried out as if doing the will of God from the heart. He now elevates the thought to show that from the heart means that he is to have a proper attitude, and that his service is to be done with goodwill. It is a word used just this once, and it indicates with kindness or with enthusiasm. It is directly connected to another word used in Matthew chapter 5, where Jesus says, Matthew 8, 7, 6, 5, let's see here, five and it's verse twenty five Jesus says in Matthew five twenty five Agree with your adversary quickly while you are on the way with him, lest your adversary deliver you to the judge, the judge hand you over to the officer, and you be thrown in prison. That's agree with or make friends with. It's the same thought, that word that Paul uses, even though it's a unique word, it agrees with that word just used in Matthew 5.25. The duties of a bond servant are to have this friendly and agreeable attitude because it is as to the Lord, not to men, that his work is actually being done. We may have earthly masters over us, but we are first and foremost servants of the Lord. It is to him that we are fully accountable in all aspects of our lives, okay? Now, the book of Philemon touches on this a little bit. I'm not going to read the whole thing, but Paul says towards the end, where does he say this? Um, uh, Okay, it must be right here. I am sending him back, verse 12, you therefore receive him, that is my own heart, whom I wish to keep with me, that is on your behalf, he might minister to me in my chains for the gospel. But without your consent, I wanted to do nothing that your good deed might not be by compulsion, as it were, but voluntary. For perhaps he departed for a while for this purpose, that you might receive him forever, no longer as a slave, but more than a slave, a beloved brother, especially to me. But how much more to you, both in the flesh and in the Lord. And so he was saying that, you know, this guy, whether you return him to me or not, he will be somebody that is more of an asset to you now and there's a mutual working together that should be understood. A boss should treat his employees properly, because if he does, he's normally going to get better work out of them. It's not always the case, because there are people out there that just want their paycheck, and they couldn't care about anything else. But if the worker is a good worker, the boss will usually respect that, and the boss, if he's a good boss, the worker will usually respond accordingly. So we would hope that it would go both ways, but We are obligated to the people that hire us. That's an important thing to remember, and this is what Paul tells us to do. So, life application. Who do you feel you are serving when you go to work? A crummy boss? A greedy company? In the highest sense, you are serving the Lord. Therefore, perform your duties to the highest of your capabilities, knowing that he will reward you for your efforts in glorifying him. Now, in the past four or five months. A lot of people have emailed me, and they have asked for uh, waivers, you know, the uh, religious uh, exemptions. Would I sign something for them? And as long as they have been watching online, and I consider them a member of the church, and so I said I would do that. And I've sent them out all over. I got a letter back today from somebody that said, thank you for doing that. They, They approved my exemption today. I was so happy about it, rejoicing in my heart. But my thought is, that maybe they didn't know that he was religious, or her, or this guy, or that guy. They didn't know that they were really religious before that happened. And so there wasn't any really onus on them to act the way that they should in front of the uh, employers, okay? But now that employer knows that this person has asked for a religious exemption, and he or she has gotten it. And I have to tell you what, the onus is really much greater on them now. Because the employer has accepted that, and they also know that this person claims to be a Christian. And so I would hope that every person that has done that over, you know, it just, I'm, I'm rejoicing for every time somebody sends me a letter and says, hey, it was approved. That just makes me very happy that it worked out that way. But at the same time, I would hope that they would be more willing to expend themselves for their employer because of that. Because otherwise, the employer is going to say, what good was this to me? I mean, this guy says he's a Christian. What kind of a, uh, you know, God is he serving? If he's an unfaithful employee or if he's a shoddy employee. So, um, and that just came to my mind right now. I didn't even think of it until right now, reading this. But, you know, this is why we read the Bible. It's so that we can think through issues that affect our lives. You know, we go into Bible class, and even in Bible class, I'm thinking of something pertinent, which is, you know, this... These people that have gotten these exemptions are now known as Christians. They may have been silent Christians in the past, but they can't be anymore. They need to be faithful Christians that show that they are honoring and serving the Lord. Okay, uh, verse 6-8.
0: Because you know that the Lord will reward everyone for whatever good he does, whether he is slave or free.
1: Okay, that one's almost identical, so I'm not going to read it. It's very close. Um, Before I read that, you know, uh, we're talking about doctrine, and you know that I place doctrine on a very, very high level. I think it's an important thing. I think it's one of those things that absolutely people should pursue, okay? But today, someone sent me an email of some revival that was going on out in California, and they they were having a tent, outdoor tent thing. And there are so many people showed up two hours before that they actually got another 500 seats, and they expanded. and then. Uh people kept coming, and they actually uh uh stayed all the way through two sermons instead of one. Now, I could tell by the way that it was presented, the terminology that was used that there probably was not great doctrine in those sermons. I didn't read the sermons, but the, the terminology you know there are certain things that you know people are saying that are kind of not biblical, but they they get people excited and I'm very happy. That they were there. And I'm very happy that they were willing to preach and to get the message out where people were being saved right then and there. Okay. So there's a difference in getting people saved. You can be excited. You might not have very great doctrine. I'm saying this to people that are listening that don't know how to evangelize. You just get out there and do it. Okay. There are preachers, in other words, out there that don't have great doctrine, but they are getting people saved. Okay. So it's important that you tell people about Jesus and just do your best. You don't have to be a scholar or a theologian to tell people about Jesus. But, because as it just said here, what what did he just say? Um, This is what, knowing that whatever good anyone does, he will receive the same from the Lord, whether he is a slave or free. You don't have to be the highest theologically minded person in the world to get out there and preach and get people saved. And so I'm so happy that there are there is a sense of revival going on in that particular community. And I would hope that it would continue. And at the same time, I would hope that the people that are saved would say, I want to know this God. And then get into reading the Bible and to read the Bible and to read the Bible and to get the doctrine. Okay, so there is a difference between getting somebody saved and there is a difference from there of becoming a mature believer. So despite the high sense that I put on doctrine. I don't I I it's not that I don't appreciate people that are willing, even without really great doctrine, to go out and get the message out. And that includes everybody, not just a preacher, but you in your workspace or anything else. You are serving the Lord and the highest way to serve the Lord is to tell about the Lord. Okay? And it brings me back to last Sunday where the Pope was praying for the world. I'm talking about the earth, the greening of the earth and saving the world from climate disaster instead of praying for people to be saved. And I just don't understand that. Whatever you do, whatever your level of doctrine is, use it for the Lord, okay? I've
0: never heard him.
1: Ever. To say the ever. Gospel never. He never, as far as I have seen, has ever presented the gospel to anybody. He uses the word gospel all the time and he never says what it is. He never tells people about Jesus. And so... You know, what a crime against the Lord to not serve the Lord in the capacity that you are put in. And to think that this guy is supposedly uh, the leader of 1.2 billion people or something, and he won't even tell them that they need Jesus to be saved. That's a real crime against the Lord. Okay, anyway, we'll go on. Uh, That was verse 6-8. Paul now moves from the admonitions of verses 5-7 through into the thought of an expected reward for meeting those same admonitions. In these verses, he is specifically addressing slaves or bond servants. He is showing now that regardless of worldly station, there will be no such distinction when standing before the Lord for judgment. Everybody that is saved by the Lord is saved by the Lord. It doesn't matter what their station is. It doesn't matter any of their cultural distinctions, any of their wealth or poverty stations. None of that matters. You are a human being that was redeemed by the blood of Jesus Christ, and you're going to be his servant. And so whatever your station is right now, don't let it worry you too much, because you will find a place in the presence of the Lord, regardless of whatever your circumstances now are. Okay, He is showing that regardless of worldly station, there will be no such distinction when standing before the Lord for judgment. This is reflected quite a few times in his letters, But the most notable is probably back in Galatians chapter 3, where he says the following. 2 3 and verse 28, he says, There is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither slave nor free, there is neither male nor female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. And yes, I will state this now. Every time I bring that verse up, I want to make sure that people understand this in case they've never heard it before. That does not mean that it's everybody is the same in Christ. There may be no distinction, but there is a difference. The very fact that he says Jew and Gentile means that there are Jews and there are Gentiles. The very fact that he says male and female tells us that we still are male and female. There may be no distinction in Christ, in our salvation, but there is no, I'm sorry, there is, uh, there are differences. There is no distinction, but there are differences. And we need to remember that because Paul gives certain things to people in the station they're in. If you're a slave, do this. If you're a master, do this. If you're a male, you have this right and authority. If you're a female, you have this right and authority everything must be taken from that context. He is not saying that everybody has a right to do the same things in Christ, okay? Yes, there's a level playing field on your salvation. That is what he is talking about, okay? Though these differences exist in the world, the distinctions do not exist for judgment for those who are in Christ. We're all on the same spiritual plane, and we will all be judged by the same perfect standard. Understanding this, Paul says, knowing that whatever good anyone does. This is a general statement, but it is given to bolster the many seemingly difficult admonitions for the slave of the previous verses. Put yourself in the place of a slave with a really crummy master and read those words again. Bondservants, be obedient to those who are your masters, according to the flesh, with fear and trembling, in sincerity of heart as to Christ, not with eye service as men pleasers, but as bondservants of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart with goodwill, doing service as to the Lord and not to men. As bad as the master may be, as bad as the boss may be, you're to do that. As you can see, it would be a tough thing to live out these words if your master or your boss of today was a tyrant. But the Lord is watching, and he will reward even the slave who is faithful in adhering to his word. This is confirmed with the next words, which say, he will receive the same from the Lord. The Greek is emphatic. It will happen. The wording does not say that he will receive the reward for what he does, but rather it says that he will receive the deed itself. In other words, there will be a like-kind reward. Paul uses a metonymy, a like-kind of payment to express the completely fair reward for faithful adherence to the admonitions. And this can be expected whether he is a slave or free. That's Paul's words, whether a slave or free. At the judgment seat of Christ, all will be openly rewarded for their deeds. Their status now has no bearing on what it will be. It is a great comfort to know this because in this earthly system, some have easy lives and they seem to get all of the good benefits of it. Some have difficult lives, and they seem to only get more trouble all the time. But the faithful soul shall receive his reward. It will be a like kind of reward. And so, no matter how good things are for you in this world, no matter how bad things are for you in this world, keep persevering. You know, I I, uh, have a very easy life. I've got a wife that does everything for me, and, you know, I do the job that I love doing. And so... I, I sometimes think, Lord, why have you favored me this way? I, it's so undeserved. And at the same time, I find myself unhappy. I find myself angry because I'm preparing for Sunday's disaster report. And I think of the world around me. And I have to keep saying that there's a better world ahead. Whatever's happening in this world, whatever we're seeing happening in this nation, and in the culture around us and the perversion, which is going up almost skyrocketing, and the rights of people being taken away from us, we have to say that this is not our home. There's a way better world ahead, and if we can just keep that attitude, whether it's in our our home life, in our work life, in our cultural life, we're going to be a lot better off. It's a hard thing to do at this point, but we need to do it. Okay, life application. We are given a sure promise in this verse. It is from the word of God, which is faithful and true. Don't look at the temporary, but look to the eternal. Fix your eyes on Jesus and your heart on being obedient to his word. This is the best thing that we can do at all times, especially probably when things are good. Because when things are good, we don't tend to do that. Uh, Case in point is this body called the Old Testament. Everything is going well, and the first thing that people do is walk away from the Lord and they find their own things to do. They're prosperous, and the Lord becomes a byword. He becomes a a secondary thought, maybe a third thought, or maybe not a thought at all, and all of a sudden, the bad times come rolling in, and what's the first thing that people do? Dear Lord. Yeah. They start complaining to the Lord, and they, uh, it's so bad what is in the book of Judges, where the people have turned away, and the Lord presented himself to them, and he says, I'm going to let you do your own way. You're going to be subject to the nations around you, and all this trouble, and you want to have it that way. That's the way it is. And they say, no, just one time, forgive us, you know, heal us. So it just, it's always that one time. If we can just remember to do this during the good times, I don't think it'll be as hard when the bad times really come because as, as, uh, uh, you know, mentally challenging as these times are right now, we still have food on the table. Bills are still being paid. Things are going pretty well. And, uh, uh, you know, that may all end one of these days. And when it does, and there's very little food around there, and you see people shooting each, each other on the streets openly, I mean, that's the bad times that could be coming. And if they do, we're going to be able to say, I know that the Lord has something better for me because we had that attitude during the good times, okay? And that's what we need to hold on to. We need to hold fast to that. 6-9.
0: And masters, treat your slaves in the same way. Do not threaten them, since you know that he, who is both their master and yours, is in heaven, and there is no favoritism with him.
1: Okay, it's similar. and He says no partiality. That's basically the same thing coming from a different angle. But uh, Paul spent four verses of instruction on what bond servants were to do and how they were to act while under the authority of their masters. He now gives one all-encompassing verse of instruction to the masters. He now, uh, further instruction is not necessary because he says, And you, masters, do the same things to them. In other words, masters are given all of the same instruction as the bondservants in this one thought. Having said that, though, the bondservant may not have a believing master okay? He's writing to bondservants, and obviously they're believers, okay? The bondservant may not have a believing master, but the master, if he's a believer, is the master of a bondservant who may not be a believer. So, you've got two different angles that are coming at, that Paul is coming at. The master obviously has the easier job in this, but he still has the same job, okay? He has the responsibility to do as Paul said, but I'll read it again, and you masters do the same thing to them. In other words, masters are given all of the same instruction as the bondservants in this one thought. Everything that was just said over the past few verses applies to you as masters. Anything that can be made prescriptive towards the slave is to be taken as such for them. But they are given more instruction as well. This would replace those items which were specifically intended for the slaves in relation to the masters. Okay. Prescriptive, just in case you don't know what I mean when I say that, prescriptive means it's something that is prescribed for you, okay? Something that is descriptive means that it's just described, and it's not telling you to do anything. It's just, Paul says, uh, you know, I was in a shipwreck. He's not prescribing for you to go get in a shipwreck. He's just making a point. This is a historical thing that happened to me, and I'm describing it to you. So when I say prescriptive, that means that he is writing to the masters, and he is giving them something that they are to do, okay? For the masters they are to give up threatening in the greek there is an article before the word threatening it says teen apelian yes apelian or the threatening in other words it was a customary practice of masters within the empire to threaten their slaves okay not always in the greek are Articles translated. There's a lot of times that you'll see an article in the Greek that you don't need to include. And there are times where the same thought will be translated with the article sometimes and it won't even be used in the Greek at other times. Okay. So, but when you see something like this, the threatening, you can be sure that Paul is highlighting the fact that it's not just threatening somebody, it is the threatening. It is what is going on. And he is highlighting that to them. Okay. So, instead of good morning. Philemus, they might say, get out to work or I will beat you. (laughs) Instead of bring me some yummy papaya salad there, Charliopolis, they might say, unless you want to be whipped, you better bring me papaya salad right now. Paul instructs them that they are no longer to threaten their slaves, but to understand that there is now a new economy because of their status as Christians. And yes, this definitively shows that Christians were slave masters. Paul never questions this, nor does he say it is an unnatural or inappropriate point in life. It was, and it continued to be a normal part of human existence. However, as Christians, these slave masters were to know and to understand that their own master, as he says, is also in heaven. They, in fact, became bondservants of Christ when they called upon him. Because of this, they were to consider how they wished to be treated by their own master and then turn and treat their slaves in a like manner. Okay, you get saved by Jesus. You now become a slave of Jesus Christ and you go into a church and it says, if you don't do this and this and this and this, you're going to lose your salvation. Okay, and so the master goes back and he says to his people, if you don't do this and this and this and this, I'm going to beat you or I'm going to kill you. Theology actually matters, if you think it through, because if you can lose your salvation, then you're not going to be the same master that you would be if you can't lose your salvation. How grateful we should be that we are saved by the blood of Christ and that it is eternal. And if that's the case, then how much more nicely should we treat our employees or our slaves back in the Roman Empire? is because we have been given grace, we should be willing to bestow grace. Another parable from Jesus on that one is the guy that gets forgiven just a small amount of money. I can't pay, and he says, well, you're going to be cast into the uh, uh, debtor's prison, and I can't pay, and so the guy forgives his debt, and as soon as the guy is forgiven his debt, it was a lot of money. It wasn't a little money. It was a lot of money. He owed the master a ton of money he couldn't pay. And the master forgave all of his debt. And what does he do? As soon as he's forgiven his debt, he goes over to somebody else that owes him like five cents. and he says, pay me right now or I'm gonna, you know, get you. And the first master said, you know what, you wicked person. I forgave you all of that debt and you won't even forgive him. So that's the, the, the point that we need to have in our head is that we have been forgiven an infinite debt in Christ. We've been shown infinite grace by Jesus, and in turn, what we need to do is we need to bestow that upon others as well.
0: That's one of the verses that they use to say, that you can lose yourself. Anymore.
1: Oh, absolutely, and it's taking it completely out of context, because of Jesus is making a point under the law. That's absolutely right, but people, they, they take things out of their proper context, and that is how you form a pretext. And boy, you see that in Acts 2, especially. This this Acts 2, I'm just so much enjoying it, going through it. And, you know, going through those things early in the morning at 3.30 or 3.45 in the morning and doing those evaluations, it's just such a refreshing thing to do. And to see, you know, going instead of one thought at a time, going one word at a time and thinking, what is being said here? And you you, you can just wipe out so much bad doctrine with Acts 2 alone. Acts chapter 2, which describes, that's all it does. It prescribes absolutely nothing to the believer in Christ. And when you see it laid out before you in that sense, you can wipe out all kinds of heresies that are out there. All kinds of them. What a great chapter of the Bible to learn from, and to understand proper doctrine. I'm just so glad. To be, you know, when it's over, I feel like just going back and doing it again instead Which of going on to chapter three. What?
0: Which you are. You already did it ear.
1: Well, yeah, I did it here, and that was a fun time. That took us a while to get through, too. That was about a two-year study. So, exactly. All right, well, you do that while I'm looking at this. Okay, Um. Uh. it is no different for them to mistreat their slaves as it is for them to engage in immoral behavior. The standard is the Word of God, And the standard demands adherence to what is laid down. That's all there is to it. This is what God has given us for our doctrine, and we are supposed to do it. This is the standard. And people, you know, there's this one guy who comes by every morning while I'm feeding the birds, and he wants to talk, and we talk a little bit. And he's all over the place. I won't say any more about him because I don't want to identify him, but he's all over the place in his thinking about the nature of God. And I'm not going to argue with somebody you know while i'm feeding my birds about it he knows what i believe and he's i he what is your website he's always asking and i'll watch some of the sermons and i know he never will but um you know, where is your church i'll come by sometime and i know he never will but he wants to argue from no basis at all there, there he has nothing that he's saying well i i got this from this this text or that text or and, and he doesn't do it in a mean way don't get me wrong he's a very nice guy Everything that he thinks about God just comes out of his head. And if everybody on that planet did that, we'll say there's almost 8 billion people, you'd have 8 billion different ideas about God because none of us know what God is doing. None of us. If we don't have a standard and if we don't live by this standard, then it's up to us. And that is not a healthy way of living our life in the presence of our creator. We should want to know what he expects of us because we're all accountable to him. All right, three so,
0: years three months short of three years
1: oh, so uh two years and nine months wow that was that was a and that's about how long it'll take for us to get through X line by line too, because it's daily instead of every week, right so good stuff, okay, um yeah, the standard is the word of God, and the standard demands adherence to what is laid down. The irony of the matter is that a disobedient slave master will certainly stand before the Lord and receive less eternal reward than a faithful and obedient slave. And that goes through my mind all the time when I think of this. You know, there are people in the church, small as this church is, that are so faithful to the Lord. And I think, you know, I do a lot. I mean, I'm always working in the Bible from early in the morning, and I'm reading it through the day but I think of all the things that go through my mind, all the anger when I think of the world, and I'm just so frustrated, and I think I'm losing rewards every time I allow myself to get frustrated. I know I am. And I think, how much more are they going to be rewarded? But for, for just their quiet faithfulness to the Lord, their love of him and their ability to say, I'm not going to let this world get me down. And how much more is the case when you've got a guy that's a, a, a master of a slave And he's beating a slave and he's treating him unfairly. And this slave is just, I love Jesus. I'm going to let this guy do this to me. And someday this guy is going to see that guy exalted. And then he's going to get chucked into the abyss. You know, there's going to be so many things that are going to be repaid to the faithful Christian when we stand before the Lord. I can't wait for that day when all of this nonsense is behind us and things are the way that they should have been from the beginning. I mean, I just can't wait. I was thinking today, and I hate this thought, I know it upsets people when I say it, but man, if those bumblebees did me in, I wouldn't be frustrated right now. Mahita <laughs> goes laughing. Uh, yeah, if they had just done their job. Okay, let's see here. Um, yeah, such a is the fairness of Christ, who looks upon the hearts of men and rewards according to his infinite wisdom, instead of our failing you know whatever he's he's infinitely wise and infinitely glorious, and hey, look at this, look at this. okay, we got some people we got some people visiting here today that wanted to buy pizza for the the uh oh, don't worry about it, out. it's raining, Sorry. that's fine. Oh, you got wet. Amen. yeah, so it, we have some folks that uh uh bought us some pizza, and we want to thank them when we have some pizza and uh, will you stay and have a prayer with us we'll We'll pray over the pizza right now. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the uh, chance to come into your presence and bless this pizza. Thank you for Tom and Hua who have done such a great job and we just pray that you'll bless their uh, uh, their business and continue to uh, provide lots of people to eat their wonderful food. And Lord, we pray this, that you'll be exalted in them and we pray it in Jesus' name, amen. amen. All right, good deal. Okay, well,
0: so. you want me to leave it there? Yeah,
1: just right there. We're going to eat it right now. We're just yeah, finishing a verse up, and so- the
0: box is wet, thank
1: oh, you. No problem, thank you. God
0: bless everyone. All right, All right. take All right. good care.
1: Okay, we're going to have a life application. We're going to close a little bit early today just because we can. He brought the pizza and we got it here and there's no point in having it sit here and go bad. So, um yeah, sorry online, but we love you. We know that you love pizza and so if you just come to Sarasota, Florida, you can have some pizza with us, okay? All right. Um if you are a boss, the prescriptions of this verse certainly apply to you. You have charge over subordinates and you are to treat them kindly and fairly. In this you will be a responsible Christian and a faithful servant to your heavenly master. Okay, this is what we're called to do. I know that today I kind of moaned about work and about situations and all that, but it's because I care. I care that Christians will present themselves properly before the people that they work for or the people that work for them, and that they will do their very best to exalt the Lord in everything they do, okay? I'm not getting down on any person in particular, and I understand the people that have difficult times. You've got a boss that is just insufferable. I understand that. And unlike Florida, I know that there are some people that simply cannot get away from their boss. There's no other jobs that are available. There's nowhere to go. And so I don't want to diminish your misery. That's not what I want to do. I want to empathize with you and let you know that I feel bad about it. But if you think of your situation in whatever your job is right now, and you think of the people, for example, I, I this guy comes to my mind every time I think of a bad boss, is there's a picture of a slave back in the 1800s. They took a picture of his back. Does anybody know the one I'm thinking of? He was beaten so badly. You go online and just say uh, uh, slaves of the 1800s. His back... It's beaten so badly, it's welts in every single direction, and it's this calluses were probably that thick built up on his back. And you think of a person that had a bad boss, okay? We've that got it. I don't care how bad your boss is, you don't have that guy's boss, and he could do nothing about it. All right. So we need to remember these things. That yes, this life is unfair, but all the unfairness will be righted. Jesus Christ will take care of every single one of them. So do your best. Do your very best to honor the Lord. Let's have a prayer and we'll have some pizza. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the chance to come into your presence. And your word is so precious. And it gives us such difficult things to live up to. It's so hard to live up to the words that you have given us. But it's your expectation of us. So you've given us the words. Also give us the grace to live them. Lord, on our own, there's just no way that we can do the things that are expected of us here. But we know that through your hand of grace on us, if we will just remember the word that is given, that we can prevail in these things and that we can be the exemplary people that you would have us to be. We thank you for the chance to hear this, to think on it, help us to live it. And we pray this in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Let me back that up. Sorry, I know we're closing a little early today, but uh, thank you for uh, being here, and uh, let me put that on break, and we'll say goodbye. Uh